In this episode of the Flophouse, we discuss Mr. Brooks, the horrifying true-life tale of comedian Albert Brooks's serial-killing adventures. What do you mean I can't say that? Slander. Now for a partial synopsis of Mr. Brooks, courtesy of Wikipedia. Earl Brooks, Kevin Costner, is an upstanding business owner and family man, but in his secret life, Earl is a serial killer, hounded by his gleefully sadistic alter ego, Marshall, William Hurt. While he has refrained from killing for the last two years, Brooks feels the urge rising once again and murders a couple in their home. Despite killing them while their curtains are open, Earl follows his meticulous modus operandi, destroying all clothing and cleaning up the crime scene. The next day, Earl attends his weekly meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, where he vaguely reveals his addiction without elaborating on its nature. Soon afterwards, Earl's daughter Jane returns home, having abruptly dropped out of Stanford. When pressed on her motives, Jane reveals that she's pregnant, but Earl fears his daughter's hiding a much worse secret. Even more worrisome is the appearance of Mr. Smith, Dane Cook, a peeping Tom who photographed Earl murdering the couple. Fully aware of Earl's thumbprint killer alter ego, Smith demands to accompany Earl on his next murder. As they troll for a victim, he becomes frustrated with Earl's meticulous preparations and over the involvement of Portland detective Tracy Atwood, Demi Moore, chief investigator of the thumbprint killer case, who hounds Smith, suspecting he's hiding something. Tracy is distracted by personal problems, including a messy divorce from her sleazy ex-husband and a violent serial killer that she put away who has escaped to kill her because of it. One day, Earl finds detectives outside his house, only to realize they're interested in speaking with his daughter, who left school following the murder of a student with a hatchet. Jane pleads innocence, but Earl realizes that his daughter may be afflicted with the same addiction that he has. To deflect suspicion, he travels to her college campus and replicates the hatchet murder, making it appear that the murders are the work of a serial killer. At the same time, Earl and Marshall form a plan to address Mr. Smith's blackmail scheme. Earl reevaluates his own life and decides that the best course of action for his family and friends is that he be murdered, a decision that infuriates Marshall. The plan involves taking Mr. Smith out on a promised thrill killing, which would give Smith the confidence to kill Earl and tie up loose ends. Is Mr. Brooks successful in his final plot? Let's join the others in the Flop House. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Flop House. Yeah. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Jeanette Lair. That's right. We've got a uh, one of our rotating guest hosts. This is like when Roger Ebert got uh, the the jaw cancer, and he had to have other people fill in for him. Boy, I thought I was a permanent member. Well, Stuart, we're, we're, you told me I'm. We're trying you out. He's gonna get paid. Yeah, I'm a really good liar. <laughs> also, a lot like Mr. Brooks. <laughs> also, Simon doesn't have jaw cancer. I want to make that clear too. <laughs> so, we did watch Mr. Brooks tonight. Yeah, Mr. Mm. Brooks. Kevin Costner. What Breakthrough performance. <laughs> what a hottie, sure. Well, I have to say, um, uh, this might be one of the better non-baseball-related Kevin Costner performances. He did not bother me at any point. What about, what, about, what about Tin Cup? Yeah, well, that's also a sports movie, so... Of the non-sports movies, of the movies where Kevin Costner plays a serial killer... What about Dancing with Wolves? 
Dancing with Wolves? <laughs> I don't think that's the name of the movie, actually. Dancing with the Wolves. Maybe it's something see. like that, though. I think you're pretty close, so we'll just give it to you. Uh, yeah, so Mr. Brooks. Um, Dan, initial thoughts. Uh, going into Mr. Brooks, you, you've seen the trailers. Uh, you see a lot of Demi Moore and uh, Kevin Costner in these trailers. Looks like a thriller. We just watched Perfect Stranger last week, so you're probably, you know, you're probably in the mood for a thriller. <laughs> Initial perceptions going into Mr. Brooks. What are your thoughts? Well, again, like Perfect Stranger, it seems like a movie that is past its sell-by date with uh, Demi Moore and Kevin Costner in it. Yeah. America's Sweethearts. Yeah, yeah. They are literally at the peak <laughs> of their power. I don't know. I, what I like about this movie, like, when I first saw the trailer, I'm just like, ah, oh, this is a shitty thriller. But then when we saw the movie, it was so much more because there was so much crazy stuff going on in it. Crazy like, stuff, you say? Well, I mean, how many plots were there in this film? There's a lot. Of plots. Let's count them. There's the plot where um, uh, Mr. Brooks, played by Kevin Costner, uh, doesn't want to kill anymore, and his imaginary friend William Hurt is urging him to kill, but he's trying not to kill. Okay. So he's struggling with that. All right. And then there's um, Dane Cook sees him kill someone. And wants to be a killer, wants to be sort of an apprentice killer. And so he wants uh, Mr. Brooks to school him in the way of murder. Sure. So there's yeah. that. Demi Moore is trying to track down Mr. Brooks, uh, the, the fingerprint killer, as they call him. But also, she's simultaneously trying to track down a, another killer who escaped and wants to kill her. And meanwhile, she's going through a divorce. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a separate plot. It's a whole right? separate plot. And also, uh, it turns out that his daughter, Mr. Brooks's daughter, is a killer. So that's a whole that's other plot. Five or something. I think if I think if you actually look at all of the actual characters in this movie, I think that roughly half of them are killers or killers to be. Right. I think that's kind of weird. Well, it's an accurate portrait of life. Sure. Um, now, Dan, I am a Bruce Evans, the writer director of this film. And I've written this script. I've written this great script called Mr. Brooks. I go into a pitch meeting, and you and Jeanette are going to be uh, the studio execs. Okay. And I come in, and you're like, yeah, what would you say? Okay, imagine you're these executives. What do you say to me? I come in with this script. I hope you got something good, sir. I have no time. <laughs> well, it's good. I'm a very important person. <laughs> I'll sum, uh, sum this excellent script up, Mr. Brooks, in a few short words. Uh, 17 words. I can't do that. <laughs> now, imagine this. A serial killer who doesn't like to be a serial killer, uh, and he loves his daughter, but she's a serial killer, and Demi Moore's in it as well. So wait, how many serial killers is that? Two. Potentially three. Hmm. Hmm. Are there any kind of, like, I don't know, weird mental things going on with this guy? There's at least one imaginary, uh, imaginary friend who approves of serial killing. Okay, good, because we can't... We can't understand mental illness unless it's uh, illustrated for us by an imaginary character. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, two words, beautiful mind meets serial killer. I have a question for you. There's a few more than two words. Okay, <laughs> answer. Okay, so his imaginary friend, this is a very key factor. When he looks through the rearview mirror, can he see him in the back seat? Can other characters see the imaginary? Can Kevin Costner see him? I could write that into the script, yes. There's room for this. Right, because, I mean, logically there would be no reason why we'd have to adjust the mirror to see his imaginary friend. But I think that for the viewer, 
the viewer at home, or I guess in the theater, since this is a first-run movie production, sure. that would be uh, an important I actually thing. have a mock-up of the poster that features him looking through the rearview mirror at William Hurt. All right. Now, I was Wait, going we're getting to William Hurt? Wait, so you've already got a poster. <laughs> I was going to suggest William Hurt in the role. He actually co-wrote the script with me. Uh, Are we talking lovable, accidental tourist William Hurt, or sort of stern, fatherly, lost in space William Hurt? What sort of William Hurt Stern, are we fatherly, dude William Hurt. Mm. Okay. Stern, brotherly, history of violence. Okay. Alright. William Hurt is literally crazy. I mean, in real life, I think that we should have... He's a crazy I think person. he's actually imaginary. Well, I say make the movie. Let's make it. That's a go picture. Let's go. Okay, so um, can I have some money? And I have uh, Kevin Costner on the line. That's <laughs> oh, right. You were thinking Costner. <laughs> thinking Costner. <laughs> Tatanka, Kevin Costner. Absolutely. Wait, was that from Dancing with Wolves? Ah, <laughs> uh, we had some good laughs. Now, to me, now I, going into this movie, I thought there was going to be a lot more Demi Moore. Is yeah, that, like maybe the trailers or the posters sold it differently. Misleading. You thought it'd be like a, a game of cat and mouse between Demi Moore and uh, and Mr. Brooks. Yeah, I thought she'd be playing the role of like a Sandra Bullock or an Ashley Judd almost. You know, like an Ashley Judd movie. Yeah, like, like a an came a spider, like an Ashley Judd slash Morgan Freeman vehicle. Yeah, something. like a paperback thriller. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about. Demi Moore, um, Demi Moore, a, a tough-as-nails policewoman, also a millionaire. She has $60 million for some reason. Did we ever find out why she had $60 million? She inherited it from her dad, I guess? Wait, no, she didn't inherit it because her dad was still alive, so I guess it was in, like, a trust. Okay. A $60 million trust. Yeah. <laughs> but she was still a cop, and that's why Mr. Brooks liked her. He kind of liked her, even though she was she could chasing him. her own, you know, didn't have to rely on her father. Well, I think his relationship with her mirrored his relationship with his own daughter, mm -hmm. the killer. Yeah, he wanted his daughter to kind of find her own thing and not just be a killer like him. Yeah. But that didn't work out for him. No, well, that one that one's tough because a lot of the stuff where they actually talk about his daughter being a killer. Who, by the way, newsflash, his daughter's a killer. I don't know if anyone's... Yeah, his daughter played by um, uh, James Woods' daughter from Shark, the CBS hit show Shark. Yeah, 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 Shark. So um, she specializes in playing the daughter of male stars from, you know, a decade past, say. Okay. Well, yeah, so she apparently is a murderer, or a murderess. Don't know which is appropriate. And a Sure, murderer. Don't uh, be sexist, Stuart. Now, the entire, like, the Girls only time... Girls can murder just like anyone else. Well, the only time they really address her being a murderer is when he's talking to his imaginary friend. And since those conversations don't really happen, real. is she really a murderer? Or thing. is that all, like, made-up shit? Is that a part of his craziness that's coming out? Yeah. Maybe is he just, like, projecting, like, if I was her, I'd be a murderer. Maybe she's imaginary as well. That's never... Well, that'd be kind of strange, but... I'd also like to point out that, like, she's apparently a hatchet killer. I mean, first of all, I think that in general, like, women... You know, like, not to, to gender discriminate or, like, make specification, but I think women are, are more poison-oriented murderers in okay. general. But also, why would she be carrying around a hatchet? Either this is a crime of passion... And she just happened to have a hatchet because she was chopping some kindling, or she specifically chose a hatchet. And I'm not sure which one would be weirder for like a 
like a student who wants to embark on her career of killing chooses a hatchet. Well, maybe it was logging school she was going to. I mean, they didn't address that. It could have been logging school, man. <laughs> Jeanette, you're you're literally the first woman we've had on the podcast, mm-hmm. so you have to represent your entire sex. Well, I'd like to think that a hatchet is a is a tool you could use to try and. Um, it's you know, vaginal. It's a phallic, well, it's kind of a phallic symbol. Okay. So I think that maybe, you know, women oftentimes want the power of being a man. So it's like yeah. swinging a big penis around. Yeah. It's exactly like that. Yep. And when, uh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> wait. Hatchet wound. That's a vagina. Mm-hmm. I've heard that before. See? Yeah. I think you introduced me to that phrase, by the way. <laughs> and thank you. Man, yeah. It's, it's a good one. So, yeah, so wait, you take the hatchet and you try and stick it in the hatchet wound. Mm-hmm. That's... Yep, into the vagina. It's really sensual. Mm-hmm. It's literally the most sensual way to kill someone. Now, you're you're a woman. Thank you, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Point no, 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 it's, it's cool. I got, uh, you're, you're a murderess. Your dad probably is a murderer. Mm-hmm. I don't know this, though. You don't know this, but, eh, who knows? This is, I've suspected how are you going to start killing people? You got to start killing people. You got to start that career off. You got to get that high. Well, it seems like Dad's always killing people with guns. So that's true. You know, I kind of wanted to step things up a little bit. Okay, so you would go straight to hatching. Something bloodier. Like a, like a cudgel. I don't know, like a letter. Start with like a letter opener, maybe something small to get me into it. <laughs> yeah, just to start you off. Yeah, you could stab someone in the eye with a letter opener. That's true, but. That'd be really gross. Killing is gross, Stuart. Killing's gross, but it's also, it's also uh, gets you erotic. off. Yeah, it gets yeah. you off. Let's talk about how it gets you. Because there was a, the, we, the first time we are introduced to Mr. Brooks. Well, first he's won the man of the year. Um, from what governing body, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's the Boxmakers Union. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's take a moment to point out that Mr. Brooks is a box magnate. He owns a very big <laughs> box making concern and um, as a manufacturer of cardboard boxes for various items, we see him showing some Japanese businessmen the, the sake box that they've apparently designed in-house. Yeah, uh, He's a very rich man from making boxes. Understandable. So he's being awarded a um, man of the year. I think not because because he's a box maker. I don't think for his box making work. They said I think he's he was, a philanthropist. Yeah. But then later on that night, he goes out and he murders someone. And when he murders them, he has this odd sort of orgasmic reaction that's captured from several different camera angles and replayed in slow motion. Yeah, kind of slow Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's point out that it had also been two years since he had murdered anyone. So this was like the orgasm waiting to happen. The yeah. murder, murdergasm. So, do you think Kevin Costner used his own O face as a model for that, or <laughs> that he based it on somebody else's O face? <laughs> I think he studied. I think, no, he, I think he studied. I too. think he went on ride-alongs with other murderers, <laughs> sure, and saw what they look like. That's a, well. I've always heard that Kevin Costner like really gets into his roles like that, like when he was in the post. Are you saying that he killed someone? I would. I wouldn't put it past him. In mean, the Postman, I bet he delivered a lot of mail, and he had people call him the Postman. In the water, in water world, he they called him Waterman. <laughs> he, he had gills surgically attached to his neck. Uh-huh. That was a good movie too. Mm. He also wore a bow tie in this film. Let's not forget that. That's true. He did. He did. Now, uh, a couple weeks ago, I watched the first half of The Guardian. 
also released this year, featuring Kevin Costner in the title in like the lead role, title role. I think he right. played the Guardian. And Ashton Ash Ash Kutcher, another another actor that America's love affair with will just never stop. <laughs> Weirdly enough, uh, the Demi Moore connection. Uh, and you know what? Do you think that maybe Ashton Kutcher um, pushed the Mr. Brooks script into Demi Moore's hands? He's like, oh, Costner was talking about this great project he's working on, and I think it, I think there's a perfect role for you. You know <laughs> what? I bet that he actually had Ashley Judd all lined up. They even filmed a couple scenes, and then Ashton Kutcher flexed his uh, flexed his like that seventies show muscle. Or or maybe maybe he just played the friend card. Because right. after the Guardian, I bet they were pretty fast friends. You know, the uh, their on-screen chemistry was amazing. <laughs> was it in the Guardian? I, I d- didn't you see I it didn't, too? I didn't see the Guardian. Oh, okay, I did. As I, as I said a couple <laughs> minutes ago, Do you see it with your other girlfriend, Stuart. There seems to be a little confusion about it. Yes, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> All right. So the Guardian, not very good. This, uh, quite good, apparently. Now, there was, uh, part of the thing that was confusing about Demi Moore was the fact that her characters seemed pretty much unnecessary, completely. Uh, totally unnecessary. And then they include the additional serial killer subplot where she's, like, chasing a serial killer who just escaped, uh, who's dating, like, the serial killer's dating some chick with really big eyebrows. Yeah. Uh. And half-dyed hair, or two-tone hair. Which is the way that uh, the way that they almost get Demi Moore, the way the killer almost gets Demi Moore is Demi Moore is distracted, apparently by this woman's two tone hair. I mean, that's the way it seems to be edited and shot. And her eyebrow ring. Yeah, and then that gives uh, the killer time to uh, push her into the the van, and they drive off with her. Well, yeah, I would be distracted. I think. I mean, guys. Uh, I mean, she's distracted. I think primarily because. Let's be honest, Demi Moore's hair in this movie looks great. Uh, yeah, like it looks fantastic. I was going to say it looks really bad and flat. Well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one. How did it compare to Charlie's Angels 2? You know, I'm actually going to have to uh, I'm going to have to admit that I never actually saw that one. Really? I don't know how I managed to miss that one. <laughs> because you know, I'm a really big fan of Mick G. <laughs> yeah. Here's where I'm going to go out on a on a on a on a limb. All the true uh, film fans are just going to crucify me for, for holding this position. But I think that Charlie's Angels 2 is superior to the original <laughs> Charlie's Angels. That's going to be a really tough sell, it. Dan. You're oh. going to get a lot of slap for that one. Oh, oh, the ch- there's going to be a lot of chatter on the, the Flophouse forums. Mm-hmm. All the fans. I'm going uh, to rent Charlie's Angels 2 and call you up in like an hour. What, but, what is it, like 60 minutes? <laughs> Because I'm more interested right now in talking about this than what we're actually talking about, let me give you my rationale, though. Um, okay. Charlie's Angels, obviously, like, supposed to be this stupid, like, action film you're not supposed to take seriously because it's an action comedy. However, when I watched it, I was like, well, they want to have it both ways. They want to have it be, like, this really, really goofy movie, but they also want it to somehow still work kind of as a blockbuster, I felt like. Whereas the second movie was so absurd... That it basically was just, you know, let's 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 have the angels appear in a variety of fetish costumes, for for various reasons, you know, like they're they're different under under uh, undercover missions. I sort of sounds res- great. I sort of respected it for its lack of uh, ambition. No, sure. I like that the only thing that you can say about it is that they wore fetish. Well, really, really, what else are you Pretty watching Charlie's Angels two for? I'm not attracted to any of the three members of the Charlie's Angels team. 
Yeah, I think that's kind of weird. Yeah. I think Cameron I'm supposed Diaz? to be. Is she one of those? Yeah, yeah, Cameron Diaz, yeah, from The Mask. Yep, that's what she's best known <laughs> for, is the role in The Mask. Well, that Break, breakthrough performance. <laughs> but um, to return, I guess, to, <laughs> to Mr. Brooks, yeah, we were talking about that. So, um, Dane Cook is in this movie. I've never actually seen him in a movie or anything before. I, I had no idea who he was before this movie. Yeah. He's apparently on MySpace a lot. Yeah. Doing what? Being a comedian. Yeah, but being a comedian specifically that enjoys networking with his fans. So he That's just like writes cool. people jokes on their like MySpace comments? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> He's known like, hey, for... Star Wars rocks. <laughs> Dane Cook, peace out, suckers. That's not a joke. <laughs> Shit. Oh my god, then he isn't a comedian. He's he's known for really building up a fan base through like interacting with the the people. You know, he's come down off of his high stand up uh, out of his high stand up tower to really interact with his fans directly through the internet. Okay. So his he's face. A, he's an everyman kind of guy. Yeah, he also likes a lot of gestures. This this is a, like a gesture based comedy. Well, I'd have to say that I wasn't very impressed with his performance in this movie. I wasn't uh, impressed with um, with his uh, with his skin complexion. You were impressed with? Him? I wasn't. Oh, you weren't. Uh, he looked kind of like a like a beige orange peel. Why did he? Why did he start out? Joke, I think. <laughs> why did he start out as like this tough guy? Like I've got your secret. I'm gonna like take you down if you don't like do what I want. And then turn into this like blubbering, like nervous, like wreck. Yeah, well, let's clarify. Dan Cook played the guy who wanted to become a murderer. He saw uh, Mr. Brooks kill someone, and he's instead of turning him in, he or was like, "I least, want to join your murder murder club." Or at the very least, it. being like, "Hey, you know what? This guy just murdered two people. He's probably done it before, and this guy's got a lot to lose. Maybe I shouldn't like." threaten him <laughs> well again it's the perfect stranger problem like we talked about how at the end of perfect stranger giovanni rubisi shows up at halle berry's place and is like oh by the way i figured out you're the murderer and i haven't uh told anybody and uh i want you to have sex with me uh, or else i'll tell people and so of course she kills him right likewise here i mean like here dane cook's character is a little smarter he has the photographs of the killing and and, and he's you know, it's the old, if something happens to me, these photos are going to be found uh, ploy. But still, outsmarted. Yeah, well, you added the inferior mind to Kevin Costner's character. Yeah, well, it's, again, it's, you know, all serial killers are masterminds and geniuses. True. I mean, the other thing is, of course, keep in mind that, like, this movie demonstrated once again um, that two heads are better than one. Kevin Costner also has the advantage of having William Hurt uh, mm -hmm. around right. to give him advice. So in addition to being a genius as it is, then he has uh, his... He has an additional imaginary yeah. character helping him out. Yeah. A Paul Bettany-esque character, if you will. Right, right. Who they they also like to enjoy little cackles together at certain times <laughs> throughout the movie, which I thought was really you know, retarded. <laughs> frankly, there's a lot of things I didn't like about this movie. But in actuality, one of the things I did like, I thought there was a weird, friendly chemistry between... William Hurt and Kevin Costner. I did not like that. Is that is the only, like, that is, I think, one of the only things I actually genuinely liked. Is it almost felt like it did kind of feel like they're weird buddies. Now, granted, both of them are kind of weird guys in general. It didn't make any sense to me because it started out with Kevin Costner hating this guy and, like, well, not hating him, but just, like, 
really wanting to overcome his his obsession with killing and then going ah stop telling me to kill people i hate you and then all of a sudden they're like buddies and cackling in the back and then you know hugging each other in the kitchen on the floor while they're crying together yeah that was that they, did. they did hug. <laughs> was that an imaginary hug though probably i, I think I we're to believe it's probably you think he was hugging air <laughs> i think yes. that was a real hug uh, you know, I I thought that maybe when they're laughing, like that was the one time when the, like the two sides of his personality merged and they had a good laugh together. Okay, <laughs> nice. so it was deep like that. Uh, I have to say, going back to Dane Cook, though, um, you know, not a not not a not a good actor. No. However, I think appropriate to the role because yeah, I really be, believe that he was like this creepy asshole. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. He did seem like a creepy asshole, and frankly, the majority of the movie, like when he got killed. I didn't really care. I thought it was kind of funny. Well, that's yeah. the problem, though. I didn't care about anybody in in this movie, really. Like, not even Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner's always, like, liking Kevin Costner's always a fucking uphill battle. You got movies mm-hmm. like Tin Cup and all those other fucking movies where, like, eventually you're like, oh, man, this rascal, this old fucking sandbagger. Okay, <laughs> fine, I like him despite all his flaws. Well, yeah. this movie, like, there's very little like about him other than the fact that, like, he's really good at being a murderer. Yeah, you mean that? Yeah. You mean that the fact that he's a, a serial killer doesn't make you sympathetic to him? I don't know. Isn't that, that's strange. <laughs> I mean, they do. I mean, like, there is the good screenwriting thing early on where they're like, the main character is awarded the Man of the Year award. Like, <laughs> like, oh, he is. Well, that's huh, the only. What's his story? <laughs> <laughs> I want to find out more about this guy. That is the most baffling sort of screenplay trope to me. By the way, the fact, yeah. You know, like, you see it in movies like, uh, you know, like you see it in like cop movies of the '80s. Say a Beverly Hills Cop, uh, where the bad guy is always the upstanding member of society who's being awarded, who's being honored at some uh, charity function, like and the then fugitive. Yeah, and then they'll break in and they'll be like, "Wait a minute!" And then there's a big, you know, hullabaloo. You know, I guess that, that was an original idea when it was an original idea. Like, oh, okay, the villains actually. <laughs> That was original because um, I was just thinking about this actually. In the seven, it seems like in seventies films, especially um, Robert De Niro. Is that who I'm thinking of? Taxi Driver. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he always plays. Uh, he always plays such a bad, like unlikable character back in like in the seventies and all those movies, like the Womanizer and like this like kind of disgusting and all these like gritty New York movies where he's like killing people and you never like him, but he's the hero. I feel like the eighties was like the turnaround time. We can like like we're supposed to start liking the character more they're supposed to be like right. more upstanding citizens but that doesn't work really for me wait the bad guys are supposed to be more upstanding or the good guys the are good like guys, the bad guys can, be, can be both now oh, okay yeah, the good guys are like individualistic anti-heroes mm-hmm. okay that's kind of like this movie you speaking of, speaking of uh, Beverly Hills Cop though I want to point out that the director of this film the one of the movie he directed was Cups which is basically Beverly Hills Cop if you replace uh, the Beverly Hills Police Department with a private security company. Which is and weird. And replace Eddie Murphy with Christian Slater. Dan, I'm not going to lie. I really like the movie Cuffs. Yeah. Is Maybe it just. Is shoe in that movie? No. no. Uh, what's her movie's in that? Uh, oh my god, the chick from Resident Evil. Oh yeah, Mel- Melanie Jovovich. Jovovich. That was one of her first uh, acting parts. Exactly. And the dude who played uh, the titular role in. Dr. Giggles was one of the bad guys. <laughs> Dr. Giggles. No, I, you know, I, I know, it's probably not a good movie, but I saw Cuffs at the right age that now I... I, I saw it. that, and like the next week I saw If Looks Could Kill with Richard <laughs> Grieco, and I was like, 
movies can't get better than these, <laughs> dudes. <laughs> ah, man. We had some alliance talking about if looks could kill earlier. You know, yeah. a couple seconds ago. I just did a little flashback to remind you. Yeah. Well, um, despite all the plots, I feel like we're winding down a little. I think that we should just move on. Probably a good idea. Wind it up. Um, so, final judgments. Uh, Simon. Can you, yeah, can you remind us of the... As always, <laughs> the official Flophouse categories are, is this a movie that you didn't like at all and wouldn't recommend to anyone? A movie that you thought was uh, so bad it's good, if you will, funny, uh, because it was bad, or a movie that you secretly kind of liked. So I'm going to start with Jeanette. Our, uh, a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. You, you it's actually, it. that's a pretty easy one for me. I would have to say uh, the number one category here. Um... I didn't like it at all, and I, I wouldn't recommend it to watch for a good time. Because honestly, well, for, I didn't really have... So uh, you would recommend it to watch for a bad time? Yes, by the if you would like to have a bad time. No, I wouldn't even say it's a bad time. It's just kind of like a eh, honk shoe. Like, mm, it's a little, I don't know, too much too much convoluted plot. I didn't really I didn't really want there to be too so much. I wasn't... You didn't really care. <laughs> I cared. I didn't want there to be so much. Okay. Dan? I'm gonna... This might... I'm gonna go for it. This is gonna be my first... I kinda liked it. I kinda... I'm not gonna go out... I'm not gonna say it's a good movie by any stretch. However, what I appreciated about it was actually what you didn't like. Which I just liked the fact that there was so much stuff going on. Like, they were like, <laughs> we're, we made this this weird thriller and we're just gonna pack it full of the craziest twists. We're, we are gonna have... Four killers in it, or what? Like, or like three killers and one potential killer. <laughs> like the tagline I was saying, like, if you're a guy who wants to be a killer, you need to learn from a killer who's the dad of the killer. <laughs> you know, like it was just just really weird. And I mean, I I don't think it's good, but if it came on like HBO, if you have HBO and it came on and you had like a couple drinks, and it's like a Tuesday, yeah, I, I would say watch it. Okay. Yep. Yep. In a world where of uh, too many killers, the best killer has to set up and kill the other killers. <laughs> you know, Dan, we've had a lot of disagreements in the past. I think this one I might actually have to agree with Dan on. I weirdly enjoyed this movie. I don't quite know why, but early on I was like, this movie's fucking really weird. I kind of like it. I think it was when uh, the dude blackmailing him was like, Dude, I totally want to join your team. <laughs> like, okay, fuck it, okay. I'm along for the ride, along with this Dane Cook dude. Let me sit in the backseat with William Hurt, and we'll watch what's going on. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it's a good movie, or, like, I agree with, like, it being good or interesting, but there was a lot of weird-ass shit happening, and thus, I have to say, I liked uh, significant parts of it. All right. Holy shit. Wow. I feel a little weird. Maybe it's because mm -hmm. Simon's not here. Yeah. He's a very negative guy. Yeah, we didn't have his, his like, negative, like, toxicity, like, pouring all Anger. over us. Well, moving away from uh, that section of the show, however, now comes the section where we talk about things that we would recommend without reservations. Perhaps not if you're having a couple drinks on a Tuesday. So, um, I'm going to start with Stuart. Uh, last night I watched uh, the first half of a little movie called 300 and you know we don't get a lot of like really good period pieces anymore 
And Wait, so, you're gonna try and sell 300 as a really good period? As a really good period piece. Like, it really transports you to the, the days of yore. And when you was know, yore? It was quite some time ago, if I recall. Alright. When there, when there were monsters invading from Africa or something. And, uh, you know, where men were men and had really awesome six-packs and were kind of sassy and really appreciated <laughs> their freedom. So I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend that if you uh, really like your freedom and uh, you don't like some fucking giant dude with a bunch of slaves telling you what to do, you should watch that shit. It's pretty good. Mm. You think I'm being sarcastic? <laughs> no, no. I, I you know I I, I watched 300 and I, was, I guess I was entertained, but I, for a movie that was like nothing but a big fight scene, I was strangely bored by it. I fell asleep, but I was I was tired, so. I can't blame it all on the movie. I'd blame the Persians. Yeah. <laughs> they must have hit you with some sleeping gas. Yeah. Carried by one of their elephant men. Jeanette, do you have a recommendation? I don't know. I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think of something. I mean this last is a night- movie. A movie that you recommend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm I have I have a lot of difficulty grasping the concepts. <laughs> you're <afraid>. Yep, you're <laughs> gonna recommend my mom, yeah? <laughs> Uh, no, no, I thought That's you were going re- to... <laughs> You're afraid that she's going to recommend um, the soda fresca for now, refreshing... The thing friends. is that I had a lot of difficulty grasping the basic premise of this part of the show, so I was trying to help you on, because I thought, you know, frankly, you might fuck it up like I did and got a lot of flack from Dan. No, no, I understand. I understand this part. I'm actually trying to think of something that I've seen recently. Um... The only th- I happened to see George of the Jungle yesterday with uh, with uh, what's his name Brendan Fraser. I would recommend that movie if you would like to be just completely re- feel ridiculous the entire time you're watching it and kind of pissed off. So, um, so more of a, that is that is more of a conditional recommendation. But other than that, I guess I could recommend I just watched Raising Arizona again for the first time in a long time. So. That's always a good one to fall back on. Right. Good for a laugh. Good for a good Now, chuckle. wasn't Brennan Fraser also in the Dudley Do-Right movie? Yeah. He's making a career of uh, being in Jay Ward cartoon ad- adaptations. That's fucking really weird. Yeah. Yeah, he was in... What else was he in that was really... I think he had like a niche. Oh, Encino? Was he in Encino Man? He was totally in Encino yeah, Man. Yeah. He actually played the Encino Man yeah. character. Right. That Paulie Shore and Sean Astin befriended. He's also, yeah. also in Monkey Bone. He was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is in the movie Monkey. I didn't Bone. know there was a true. movie named. He's Monkey also Bone. in that Blast from the Past movie with Christopher Walken yeah. and yes, Alicia Silverstone. There's a whole sort of like. Mm, That's kind of a period. Of extremely piece. light a comedy. <laughs> well, a lot like 300 in that way. Right. So ours kind of match up. Days of yore. Yeah. Connected. No, it's, yeah, it's Connectivity. True. So after all that discussion about how it has to be a movie that we're recommending. I this is a, this is like a first for me because I do a movie podcast and I then probably I, see a lot of movies. I like right? movies. I have not seen any movies since we last recorded a podcast. So are you gonna just recommend Mr. Brooks? Well, <laughs> <laughs> everyone should see it. It's uh, my pick for uh, Best Picture Oscar. This year. Oh, interesting. No, I uh, I'm gonna just I'm gonna I'm gonna break the rules, but I'm gonna keep in the like the the video medium. And say that uh, I watched for the first time the IT Crowd, the British sitcom um, that was downloaded uh, for me by a friend in a what I'm sure is a completely legal way from the internet. Sure. What's his friend's uh, name? 
Um, An address? It's called, his name is Mr. Brooks. <laughs> okay. It was on Mr. Brooks Lane. There's no way that could be fake. On um, <laughs> um, one, two, three, four, fake street, sure. <laughs> but uh, what I have to say about the IT crowd is British sitcoms seem to have this ability to do something that most American sitcoms just don't know how to do, which is have relatable sort of understanding understandable situations like it has a real life grounding to stuff but then it's not afraid of just throwing in completely absurd off the wall stuff and having that exist in the same universe and trust that the audience is going to be like isn't going to be like wait a minute are we in a real world or are we in a crazy world they're just gonna they're just gonna take it as comedy because it's funny and yeah, uh they're really good it's a really good show so uh, well, if I would have known we could do shows uh, Man. Uh, this thing's falling apart. Yeah. I prefer movies and not shows, so I guess I'm in the minority of my guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're just enjoying your uh, moral superiority for once. I am, it's weird. It feels kind of uncomfortable. So, this is the first flop house with a, a guest host. How do you think it went, guys? How you doing? Weird. Yeah? You feel Awkward. a little uncomfortable, sure. Well, I feel a little pressure representing the entire woman, you know, population. Right. I mean, movie population. I don't, I don't like and we're both forceful, uh, bombastic personalities. I know. I mean, true. I think we popped a lot of cherries tonight, guys. Mm -hmm. The woman cherry, yeah. your cherry. I'm feeling violated. Sure. Understandably. It's. A little sore. A lot of girth. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that image reverberating in podcast listeners' ears. Uh, I think we uh, should sign off, but I want to, as always, tell people they should go to theflophousepodcast.blogspot.com, and if while they're there and reading the show notes, they want to uh, vote for us or write a review, there's some links on the side they can click on, and if they want to send an email, uh, they can send it to theflophousepodcast at gmail.com, and maybe we'll respond. What do you think of that? That's, what do you think of that? That's good yeah. shit. Yeah. You fucking, you were tight on that one, dude. Yeah. Totally on the ball. I'm trying to cut down on the lengthy, lengthy podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to talk for about 20 more minutes about girth. You know what? It's because Simon's not here. <laughs> <laughs> that dude's a fucking slowy one, Kenobi. All we're going to get is um, infuriated emails from Simon yep. at the Flophouse podcast at gmail.com. He doesn't own a computer. It's okay. <laughs> I'll never listen to the Flophouse again. Well, on that tragic note... It is tragic. Let's <laughs> sign off for tonight. <laughs> I'm Dan McCoy. Uh, I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Jeanette Lair. Good night. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Oh, wait. DSL lips is redundant. Yes, that would be redundant. sucking lip lips. Yep. Right. It's like the ATM machine, you know? <laughs> look at her, look at them, look at them, look at them, look at those plump ass lips. Mm. Like she got stung by a bunch of sexy bees. <laughs> yeah, right around the <laughs> lips. <laughs>